jetzt ist er der Difference Club. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Saturday Friends Club, your only destination on the internet to find nostalgia talk. Only. Only. There's, only. We've cornered the market. <laughs> yeah, there's no others like us. There, there's not a moot. You can't go on a YouTube. You can't go on any other podcast. Nobody else is talking about the relevant things that we do. No, no. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so welcome back. We are uh, here in the lovely studio in Bay Area, California. Um, once more recording. Once more having a good time. I'm Josh. Sabrina's here. Hello. Uh, we've got Eric. Yeah. And we've got Kyle back. Hello. How, how are we all doing today? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Awesome. I mean, I, we're, all, we're all just riding the emotional high from seeing this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of this movie, we are doing Das Boot. And as part of the last discussion that we had with Das Boot, we're bringing back uh, another friend, Matt Rory. Hello. How are you? We're doing great. How are you, man? Not too bad. I got, it's a shiny day. It is. I got to jump about uh, get. Uh, I got to go over and give you a nice shiny mic. So now you sound awesome. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I was using a uh, Blue Yeti before, I think, but it's a kind of you know omnidirectional. Got a lot of room noise, and I apologize for anything uh, going on today. We got kind of a, a dog next door barking, and the landscapers here, and my two dogs are just also a little excited. So might hear some dogs barking. No, oh, that's fine. I mean, you're, you're sounding great right now, and. Um, this will be a fun one. So uh, let's see. Do we want to just, just go ahead and jump into it? Eric, you are ringleader for this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm ringleader for this one. And uh, yeah, I, I, I normally, I'll say I normally try to space the World War II out a little bit more, but uh, it sounds like it worked out with Matt's schedule. So we're doing Dust Boot now and then later. And um, yeah, we should preface this by saying for anyone else who might have seen the movie before, uh, there are several different versions of this movie, and it was a miniseries before it was cut into a film. So there are several versions. We all watch the director's cut. So prepare yourself for three and a half hours of Das Boot. And it is not the longest one. There's a five-hour cut. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, Lord. I heard uh, weird things about this. Because what I always heard was that it was a miniseries first and then was cut into the movie. But then I was looking at Wikipedia, and they seem to have that order reversed where it was a movie first and then became a miniseries later on in Germany. Uh, and I'm, I haven't. I just found that. I I just saw that yesterday. I've never heard that hmm. version of it before. But uh, definitely, I think it was co-produced by a couple of German TV uh, companies with the intent to have both a movie and a miniseries. So it sounds like it's just a a, a stunning amount of footage probably captured for this project. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and, and it's uh, and yeah, I I, I do I, I do believe I think the director's cut is probably the best cut of it. it three and a half hours does sound daunting, but I. I did not feel the length at all. Apparently, uh, originally, it was intended to be like a 90-minute cut for international audiences, which I can't really imagine. But if you want to have like the most basic narrative of this, this story, 90 minutes, you could probably fit it in there. But uh, it's the weird thing about you know very long movies, that they're very detail-oriented. And a lot of this movie is the slow buildup of, of character and, uh, and little moments that kind of tell the story rather than a, a grand arc. Uh, so the... the it, I wouldn't say it flies by necessarily, but it's very easy to kind of sit down and watch this movie and come up a few hours later, not realizing where the time has gone. If yeah. you if you if you get into it, the the it does kind of sweep you along. It uh, is a very tense movie. I would I incredibly so. Yeah, I would. I was related. Um, I, I had a history teacher in in high school, and he discussed movies like this. And he said, I always I always remember him saying like when he saw this in theaters. He said, like, I've never been more tense in a movie before or since. And he said, like, I, did, I, I didn't realize on the end of it, but I had, I had been gripping my, like, seat, like, this, the arms of the seat so tightly that, like, 
his hands were white for a good like 20 minutes afterwards and he was he said he was like i that was like this, this emotional experience watching the movie in the theater it's uh, i've never seen it in a theater i don't think i think i first watched this in college so it would have been about 20 years ago now uh, probably on VHS. It might have been the original edition. I'm not sure when the direct. I think the director's come out, cut came out in like late '90s, '97 or something like that. He went, something went, like went that. Back to it. But, um, uh, yeah. <clears throat> so I guess we should we should get into it because like oh boy, there's a lot to cover here. Well, let's get sure. the background, Matt. Oh, you oh, sure, you sure. said that you uh, you watched it in college. So what was the situation that you saw Das Boot? Oh, I was uh, checking out VHS tapes from the from the library in college a lot. I went through most of their kind of classic cinema stuff. I, I saw all my Kurosawa back then. Um, went through a big phase of samurai movies and, and a lot of foreign movies too. Uh, and this was part of one of them. I just, not with anybody else, I was just watching a bunch of movies by myself in my dorm. Um, and I'm not sure what specifically spurred me to latch onto this one, but uh, definitely made an impact right away. I've seen it a few times since then. I've never seen the five-hour version. I've always been kind of wanting to track it down. I know they, it's sold in a couple different Blu-ray formats where you can get that, but um, I think I started with the original cut, went to the director's cut later on, and it's definitely uh, just a superb film all the way around. Um, uh, it's hard to really encapsulate what it's like. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, I don't know, Tolstoyan, if you ever read War and Peace, has got that kind of sweeping arc and a lot of uh, great character building, a lot of little small moments that kind of build these characters up. Um, and like you said, just uh, incredible. If you're in it just for an action movie, quote unquote, it's probably not going to get you quite there. But there are enough of those moments where you are just so compelled by what's going on that you can't even like turn away. Uh, just, a, just a great movie. And Eric, you? Yeah, so my background, I don't know, like, where, I, I think it was just my, my, this was a movie that I saw, like, a lot growing up, multiple times, and it was just something that, like, our family always knew about, and it became this running thing where, like, because there were VHSs, and then when DVDs finally came out, like, one of our favorite movies was Dust Boot, and so we're like, oh, we should get Dust Boot on DVD, and it became this thing where we would get it, we have it on DVD, and then, like, the next another Christmas roll around and we we would forget that like oh did we have a copy of that and so we'd get another copy for someone else and that happened several times so like I think at one point we had three copies of the movie Jeez. and it was something like I think like when my brother went off to college and he took uh one of the DVDs with him and so like oh we should get another copy of Dust Boot because it seems to be gone and we got another one and so like when I went to go watch this movie for this podcast I went down and was like uh, where's my DVD copy oh here it is <laughs> I grabbed her. And so I didn't have to do any searching. Um, so, yeah, this was just something we had seen. Um, I mean, my, my family is ethnically German, and we have some history with it. And so it's this – we we have a history of finding European stuff, a lot of, a lot of British uh, stuff that used to be played on PBS and those kind of things we were interested in. I think it was just my, my parents had both seen it. And like, this is a really good movie. And so – and, like, our family are all – a lot of them are big World War II history buffs. So this was kind of a natural – and yeah, I've I've seen this movie. This is probably about the sixth or seventh time that I've seen it. So yeah, it's good. Real standard watching for you. It is. And it, like I will say, like really, I I every time it's enthralling, and I and I it, like you're saying, it flies by, and man, it's yeah, it's an experience and a real satisfying ending. Yeah. Oh yeah. A real possibly the most ironic ending in uh, I've ever seen to a movie. It's, it's one of those things that should be like in the diction next to irony. Um, we should probably give a quick plot recap for people who haven't seen the movie in a while. Like, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it as soon as we hear the, okay, good. the theme music. Yes. Um, and then everyone else, I think 
If did everyone else this is the first time you've seen it? Never seen it. Oof. I had never seen it. I had seen probably every reference that could have possibly been made to it <laughs> yes. growing up. I mean, like, I'm not sure if I'm crazy, but I could swear there was a few references to it in uh, Down Periscope or whatever it was back in the day, and definitely a reference or two in Rocco's Modern Life. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you watch that movie Beer Fest, uh, Jürgen uh, Pachtrau is on that as well. And they're on a submarine at some point, and he kind of looks at the camera, and it's like, I had a bad experience on one of these. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll tell you what. Let's go ahead and get uh, get in the water. Uh, yeah. It's time for Das Boot. All right, Eric, break it down. All right. Das Boot uh, is a 1981 German war film. Bad MP3 player. Bad. <laughs> okay, shall we start again? I right, go for it. All right. Uh, das Boot is a 1981 German war film written and directed by Wolfgang Peterson, produced by Gunther Robach, starring Jürgen Pachnow, Herbert Grunemeyer, and Klaus Venemann. Uh, and then, scrolling down a little bit here, it is an adaptation of Lothar Gunther Buchheim's 1973 German novel of the same name, the film is set during World War II and tells the fictional story of U-96 and its crew. Um, and so, and yeah, so that, that's the, the kind of the real basic overview of it. Uh, it's a fictionalized story of an actual submarine, and a lot of it is based, all of the characters in it and the events are based on ones that happened uh, to, the, uh, to the author. He was, um, the, the first Lieutenant Werner in this movie is kind of our in, and so he, he's the kind of direct, the, the writer of the novel's character in that and that he hmm. was he was a war correspondent on a submarine on on the actual u96 uh on one of its voyages and so that's what it's kind of based on yeah. and and to break this down a little bit just so we explain it one <laughs> this is a u-boat yes <laughs> the u-boats were german during world war ii yeah the the baddies yeah, so we're following the baddies these yes. are nazis right yeah you get in there you're like what and they're like and it's like oh it's the germans who I want. Uh, I think they make it pretty clear early on. They they go heavy into the anti Hitler stuff. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, early on. But, uh, but so the not to defend anybody, but <laughs> apparently in like forty three is when the submarine crews got really heavily, uh, you know, Nazified when the morale was dipping. But these guys just seem like they're kind of taking pride in the job well done. Uh, and the probably it always sounds apocryphal, but the story is that when it first uh, debuted in America, everybody kind of clapped when they showed how many submarine people died. And by the end of it, they were all just kind of like enthralled and applauding for the uh, for the d- directorship. So I don't think this. I don't know. Say, yeah. Call them Nazis might be. They're definitely Germans, shall we say? I'm not trying to. Oh definitely yeah, they're killing. Well, that's the reason that I pulled uh, pulled it up is that the easy go to is to say like, oh, they were Nazis. We're Americans. That's yeah. Why we, yeah. Yeah. It, this there is an entire discussion which I we can't really get into on this one about there's this idea and it's it's been argued at length and there's a lot of people that are arguing I would say for like disingenuous reason and everything but there there are people certainly with a with a stake or that make claims such that there were certain branches of the of the German military that were more or less committed to the Nazi cause um, there are a lot of people who try to sanitize some of the history and that like. Oh, sure. well, you know, the Wehrmacht weren't really like they weren't as bad as the SS. So that's like a whole discussion. It's there's it's, it's a really it's a you know, gigantic can of worms. 
Um, I will. I, I just want to say this movie is prefaced on what is, which is what is fairly well accepted, which is that the uh, the German Navy, the Kriegsmarine, was general, especially during early in the war, was was they were definitely not like Hitler's darling like branch. They were not the Heer or any, or the or the Luftwaffe. So they it was not a branch that was especially like pro Nazi because the the, the 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 Nazi Party was you know ran ran everything but there were people who were more or less loyal to them and their ideas it's a really it's one of the most interesting parts of the movie for me like not to be too political about it but the way they play around with uh the notion of all these guys they go straight into like making fun of hitler for being a painter uh the 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 most the worst first officer on the ship is kind of derided (laughs) as a hitler youth kind of thing so they they i i wonder how much of that was it's one of those things I wonder how much of that was in the book and how much they had to put that in there to make this movie palatable to uh, overseas audiences and everything like that. But it's it's one of the things that the movie doesn't really shy away from, which is kind of a, a bold thing to do when you are setting a movie with Germans in World War II. Um, they kind of bring it up almost right at the beginning with that speech in the, uh, the dance hall, and they – it kind of fades in and out. It doesn't. It's not about the politics of World War II, but they definitely portray these people as being kind of cynical and uh, not super respectful of their leadership, which is a you know a bold strategy for this kind of thing, especially when you consider this is a German production that was you know probably debuted in Germany too. Uh, it's uh, a lot of complicated stuff going on. And uh, so I think that well, I think that was a factor, and I think that was in the original. I, if I remember correctly, it was in the book. the The guy who wrote this was he. He wanted to like, the, the, he did did not shy away from either. It's like, yeah, there were a lot that there were some dyed in the wool Nazis, but a lot of people were like the the more prag, like some of them were very pragmatic. They had their loyalties were more towards the idea of Germany as a state or as a people, or they had kind of their own personal agendas. And so the the kind of window in this is the is the the captain in this one. Who is like openly very cynical about this, and like you're saying, uh, Cap- uh, Captain Thompson, the other the other officer that we see, um, and then the uh, the flip side is uh, the 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 new first officer on board is this like real trim, like you know, perfectly quaffed German hair, and he's this uh, young like go getter officer, and he's like a he's a big like, ardent Nazi to the point like you're saying like the, they make a joke about oh he's our Hitler youth leader. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was one of the few characters the the weird thing about this movie is that the uh, submarine model was used in Raiders of the Lost Ark 2 uh as well I should say and he, that was the only character that I felt could have been like transplanted between either movie <laughs> uh it's it's really interesting how they do shades of gray with all the, with these characters some people are just doing a job some people are really you know committed to the cause and some people just want to get home and see their girlfriend and all those different emotions going on when these people are sinking to the bottom of the ocean in a ship that is about to be destroyed. Uh, you can see play over their faces and everything like that. Uh, it's, it's just a fascinating character study if, if nothing else. And I think that's our, I, I would say just the further preface it is like, I think the, the pull point of this movie is to, is to show something that's realistic. And it's, this movie is very, is very gritty in, in, in metaphorical and literal senses. And so it's like, there's, you know, I don't think the movie attempts to, it, yeah, like you're saying, it is not the, the central thrust of the movie, but it is certainly there. And I think the goal is just to show that, like, there is a there's a lot going on here, especially if you're someone who's coming at it from a very American perspective. It's like, yeah, hey, maybe not... they weren't all like mustache twirling. Sure, but it's, so that's a whole other discussion we'll have. Cool. Um, <laughs> so let's see. It's also kind of a movie that's difficult to do linear because there's so much like. I wouldn't say it's downtime, but they play off the like the tedium of the hunt. 
yeah for for a good amount of this where it's just like you're just underwater trying to find a boat to attack yeah um but we can go ahead and start at the front that we talked about um the movie opens up with our captain uh first officers you know going into this party we, we should say also that, a, that, that this movie also like a lot of the characters don't have names uh they're just referred to by their rank uh i think i, I think that's a purposeful kind of artistic thing um and it's just to the idea is like yeah this is a story that plays out and kind of, I think, I don't know, it kind of helped. I, I think they try to detach them a little bit from some of their backgrounds uh, in that way. But it begins, uh, we, we start off, it's October 1941 in German-occupied La Rochelle in France. Um, we, it cuts over to a French bordello where all the Nazi, like the, the, all these officers and crew are getting totally wasted. Way wasted. Oh, yeah. He's talking about, talking about the Germans knowing how to party. Um, <laughs> but it's also kind of wasted for the type of people that are about to get on a boat that yes. they understand that, like, one in four actually come back from. Yeah. So this is 1941, so it's starting to get pretty bad at this point. But, like, like Matt, I think you said earlier, uh, 1943 is kind of considered, like, the is, like, the, the final nail in the coffin for the Kriegsmarine. So at that point... Uh, Nine out of ten submarines did not come back from their first patrol, so that's you know ninety percent first time casualties. And then one of the opening titles says that by the end of the war there had been there were forty thousand men who had served in the Kriegsmarine, and thirty thousand of them uh, died or never came back or were lost somehow. So yeah, your entire branch has seventy five percent casualties. That's it. That's like some pretty that's some pretty like harsh reality to deal with. So these guys are getting totally wasted. Uh, to a like comical degree, and th- this is where they kind of introduce some of the characters. So we have the captain, who is this like uh, uh, Jurgen Pachtrau or Pachnau, I-, I don't know how to say his name, uh, is a grizzled-looking individual, uh, and he only gets more uh, more so as he ages. Uh, but he's the captain. You're introduced to Lieutenant Werner, uh, who is uh, Herbert Grönemeyer. He is like he's sort of the main character almost. Um, He's the guy who the, the author of the book the movie is based on. He's that guy. So he's a he's a war correspondent who's been assigned to the U boat. Like go along with them and you know hopefully write up some stirring propaganda that can be used to support the war effort. Um, and so he's this kind of like kind of naive, kind of wet behind the ears new officer. Uh, and the captain goes around introducing him, and they introduce him like we were saying to the first officer, who is the like he's just this nerd. He's like this Nazi hall monitor that is there to. And sure, he, he, I mean, it's one of those things where it's implied that he's kind of he got the position because he's such a died in the world Nazi. They like because uh, morale is steadily decreasing, and the party's response to that is, well, we just need more like we just need more people exemplifying the Nazi spirit to be along with them to improve it. So he's just this total by the book, just nerd, and everyone kind of hates him. <laughs> but then it doesn't last long. No, I mean he kind of he, yeah. I think the reality for him sets in finally, but he there's some friction there, and then. Uh, Werner is also like a he's an outsider and he's this newbie so he gets kind of picked on as well um but he goes around the introduce you see the rest of the crew and everyone is just like smashed and like I like when he tries to pull the he's trying to do the like pull the tablecloth out and just not, not even <laughs> close and just like goes flying backwards and all this trash goes flying onto him and they kind of the bathroom and people are just like puking and it's yeah it's terrible but yeah with the knowledge of a lot of these guys know like I'm probably gonna die on this mission so they're they're going off and they're in a they're in a bordello, so they're taking advantage of that and they're just getting wasted. Um, Should also point out the uh, the extremely long shot, long take <laughs> of the carnage going on. It's it's uh, when you think about this movie, have have 
originated in TV. That doesn't really mean it was a like a TV budget. Uh, definitely the second most expensive German movie of all time at the at the time it was made. Uh, it, there's like a good 90 second tracking shot of all this carnage and chaos that's going on that ends up with somebody slipping in puke in a bathroom and then just kind of passing out. Uh, it's a, you know, if you've seen Children of Men, this is up there in terms of technical skill <laughs> with that kind of stuff. There's no CGI pasting stuff together. It's just a, a there are a few of these really remarkable long takes in the movie. Um, and they're, when you see the first one in the bordello, you kind of know you're in for something special. <laughs> something, yeah, something's approaching. But the, the whole crux of the scene is that the, it's like the celebration and they bring out uh, Captain Thompson, who's another U-boat captain, who is clearly who is also very drunk. And apparently, according to the, direct, the director's commentary, he really he really did get smashed to that scene. So that's an authentic German drunk right there. <laughs> uh, he goes up there, and he's just been given the Knight's Cross, the the Ritter Cruz. Um, and so he's been doing this prestigious award, and he gives up the, he gives this dr- drunken speech in which he like makes fun of Churchill, but also clearly makes fun of Hitler, and everyone is like terribly like uncomfortable. <laughs> There's like one SS. I think uh, it looked like kind of an SS uniform. I'm probably mistaken, but there's one dude who gives him a dirty look, and everybody else in the room is kind of looking at each other, like, "Oh, this dude is gonna He's step so over the line." Right now. So, it, and then he pulls it back, and it just kind of uh, plays it off a little bit. But it's definitely one of the. You talk about tension, like the in that moment, there's no action going on at all. But the tension in that room, like, is somebody gonna? take this guy out or something like that yeah it's like what's gonna what's gonna happen to this guy Cause, like he's just been given this incredibly prestigious award and yeah he, he makes jokes about hitler being like vegetarian and a painter and then womanless and and he makes he's makes some remarks and then he makes fun of uh, churchill everyone's kind of like uh it kind of brings the house up a little bit <laughs> so just, yeah just a lot of like uh oh yeah churchill's fat and dumb woo so it's 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 i think it's a good it, like you're saying it introduces like there's gonna be a lot of like shades of gray in this one um and then so the the movie continues the next the next day uh they go out to the sub pen at la rochelle and the, the ship's been outfitted and ready to go and they 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 put to sea uh, finally on this on this patrol in the north atlantic and so for those of you who might not be just totally weirdos who know a lot about world war ii um at this point the german navy is, is fairly small like they have surface ships like uh, cruisers and destroyers and everything but it's small, and they are constantly penned in by the British Navy. So they never really, like, after the Battle of Jutland in World War One, they never really, like, engaged in any kind of large surface battles. Like, nothing even that to that scale. So at this point, the German Navy's focus was on the, the, the submarine. They figured the submarines can operate silently. They can interrupt Allied shipping because, you know, the United States is sending all these supplies to Britain. And so the North Atlantic is this big battleground between the German U-boat force and the British, like, uh, merchant marine and the, its escorts. So that's kind of, like, that's the military background for this, is they're, they're being sent out uh, from German-occupied France, and their their objective is to go and harass and sink uh, American and British convoy ships traveling between the United States and Britain. Yeah. Now, Sabrina, I know you had a question about this that we covered during uh, during the... the um while we were watching which was you were trying to figure out if these were actually like civilian or if these were military ships right um it was the, the convoys were sometimes like i that's a good question i don't know the exact mixture of it but they were generally merchant marine so they were they were military like owned and run but they mm-hmm. I, I but it's like the merchant marine is like another branch of the navy oh, it's something like okay. their their whole job is to run like transport ships back and forth and, okay. and materials so um it so they're 
they're military owned, but it's this kind of different branch. And then they're the, the escorts, the destroyers they run into. Yeah. Are, you know, those obviously, are... yeah, those were yeah. military. And there were obviously like, you know, you could look World War One, not exactly the same, but the Lusitania being a prime example where it's just like, hey, you know, there were weapons on a ship that actually had civilians on it as a means to kind of like, you're not going to shoot this, right? Right. So there were definitely shades of gray where sometimes they might have used civilians to try and protect interests in weird ways. Yeah. And at this point, the war is, is, is total. So they're sinking whatever they can, more or less. But at this point, the convoys, the convoys, it's kind of hard to see in the shots in this movie, but the actual convoys were hundreds of ships. Oh, uh, okay. They were enormous. And then and then there were ones that were different size, but like the big military convoys, and they would have, you know, uh, uh, several military ships guarding them at all times. Yeah, it was really hard to see what they were looking at. Like, they'd be like, oh, look over there. And I'm looking and I'm like, I can't see shit. <laughs> it depends. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's kind of the, that's kind of thing everyone thinks. You know, the image is always them looking through the periscope. But, like, that's a very, like, narrow view. That's why they spend so much time on the surface. Yeah. Um, is you have better visibility and the, the U-boat moves much faster on the surface. It's yeah. actually very slow underwater. Oh, okay. Yeah, they actually almost, they pretty much demonstrate that uh, later on when the uh, they actually take the sub down, pull the periscope up, and they're just like, where did this boat go? And it is directly on top of them. Yeah, they like he finally turns it in like a wave parts and it's like, and it's just about to run them over. Um, so, yeah, this this is this is kind of the, the backdrop to what they're doing. So they're, they're, they're this... U-boat is being sent out, and their their idea is to sink and harass Allied shipping. So it, there were a few interesting things that were just like me not going like, oh, I guess that makes sense, but took some time to actually like see it in this movie to understand the fact that like the walls were covered with food. <laughs> There's not much room on this boat, no. But yeah, when they get a supply, it's like, all right, here's some baguettes, here's some bananas, here's whatever we could grab locally that can fit inside of this tiny confined space. Let's find a space to put food. I think they make the comment that there's two. there are two heads on the boat, which is the nautical term for bathroom. And it's like here we go. Here's the one. The other one is full of provisions, <laughs> and it's like more more supplies than shit, right? Like good good logic there. <laughs> um, um, the other one was the fact that if they needed to do a dive and they needed to do it fast, they just all ran to the opposite side of the ship. Yeah, they would they would all run to the bow. So one of the first things they get out to see, and they're they're just kind of cruising along, and suddenly they hear the, the the emergency dive alarm sound, and everyone has to like drop what they're doing and the guy like comically has to like jump out of the bathroom with his pants around his ankles and they all have to run as fast as they can to the bow so it can dive faster and the captain goes you know april fools this was a drill <laughs> so i do have to say that one of the most like striking points about the movie were the alarms because they usually came in such like a quiet point you were in such like a low point, and then you were suddenly just somebody goes alarm, and it, everything just broke yeah. off at that that moment. They they do a lot of that in this movie where they they make great use of like things come down, come down, and then something suddenly crazy will happen. And so it's, I wouldn't say like a jump scare almost, but like it try it like it, they're, they're, it'll like snap you out of complacency when they have to do a dive or they come under attack or something, mm -hmm. right? Um, so let's see, um, if we were going, we go out to sea, we're at sea for a long time. So they're, they're on patrol, basically. They're, um, they're in radio contact with their U-boats and they're searching, uh, for enemy ships. So this is the kind of first period of boredom. And like, I, I love all of the scenes of just like the, the random sailors on board bantering or like what they do to pass the time. 
it gets like more ridiculous as time goes along um but they're um they are yeah so there's the first period they kind of establish some of the dynamics between the characters uh Werner is kind of the new guy since he's like the war correspondent so he gets kind of hazed a little bit um they establish that kind of thing but finally uh, eventually they get radio they, they get radio contact from one of the other submarines that they've spotted an enemy convoy um Okay, uh, and it eventually, eventually comes. Uh, they, they realize okay, the convoy is closer than they originally thought, and so uh, all the summer, all the U-boats in the area are are called over to attack this convoy. And so I'd say this is the first. This is the first big like action scene of the movie. Is uh, they they are they're they're approaching this convoy, and at first it looks like there's no there's no escorts in this part of the convoy. It's like oh they're you know easy pickings, but but then they realize oh then there's a destroyer bearing down right on them. Well, I think that there's the first one that they encounter where I think they find the lone destroyer. Yes, there's a, there's a lone destroyer, and they have an interesting scene where they dive and then they're down underwater, and the captain sees an opportunity to like oh I I might be able to like off this or even just damage this destroyer, uh, and but they lose it in the in the dark and in the waves, and it nearly runs them over, and they realize afterwards that it actually spotted their periscope. Uh, and then, like, looped around and came down on top of them. And so, you get you get the first like real tense scene with the death charges. The depth, yeah, the death charges. This was this is a big thing in the movie. Is um, the since I like the so, well, the U boats when they're underwater they move very slowly, uh, and then the way destroyers sink U boats is they have what are called death charges, which is basically a bomb that you just roll off the back of the deck, uh, and they're set to detonate at a certain depth. So the the guys on the ship are guessing the U boats probably traveling at you know a hundred feet under the water or something. And they'll set the charge to that, and then and they'll they'll do a couple at different depths to hopefully get it. And so they try to like steer over the U boat and drop depth charges onto it. And those exploding anywhere near the U boat can cause serious damage, let alone getting an explosion right nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at that depth, if you, uh, even a small hull breach can just cause catastrophic collapse, and the, the U boat can sink. Mm-hmm. So this movie, I think, this is one of the, the 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 really tense parts of the movie, like you're saying, and like demonstrate this is the. This is like the the real horror of being on a U boat is you're basically helpless and you're just waiting for the enemy like are they gonna drop a bomb on my head and I will die instantly or will it just, you know crack the boat in half and we sink and we'll die slowly and like you know in terror and they do a, the movie does a really good job of keeping the tension and even the captain eventually when when they're waiting for the depth charges to pass he's just like come on come on get it over with because he's he's getting impatient too it's and like either kill us or don't yeah basically. And I, I really like the, the the kind of motif in this movie, which is the the British ships. Uh, the sonar ping is kind of like this. This is like the it's like the Jaws music sort of. It's the it it's pre, it, it presages like the attack from the from the boats. So they have to get underwater. And everyone has to be quiet because the the, the destroyer is also listening for them underwater. And so everyone's trying to be as silent as possible. And all they can hear is the like is the ping of the sonar hitting their ship. Well, the dis- the first destroyer didn't have sonar, right. which was interesting because they were just kind of like they had to be quiet and seem like that they were safe. But with the sonar, which was on the later destroyer, yeah. it was one of those things where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like you could be doing whatever. It's still going to find you because it has sonar. Yeah, they, they both have what's called a hydrophone, which is uh, you see the operator. He's got that big dial and like headphones. It's like an underwater microphone. That's what they're using to try to hear where the enemy ships are. And the destroyers, like, the server ship will have those, too. And so they're trying to listen for the submarine. So it's this very, like, cat and mouse kind of game going on. Um, yeah, so this is, so they have a couple scenes like that, which are really well done. The, the ship initially only kind of takes light damage. 
Um, but it is, man, this is one of the more like frightening scenes. In the movie It's just like, you're trapped in like a metal, in like a dark metal tube. And as you come under attack, it's just any, any one of those explosions could just be instant death. And you know, everyone, everyone rattles the ship and people are getting thrown all over the place. And all I can think about is just bashing your head on one of the like 800 metal bulkheads or jagged pieces of metal sticking out. So yeah, that was th- th- this whole section of the movie is always like one of my favorites to watch because it's it's so like oh god this is horrible. Let's see, does anybody else have uh, something that they want to add in, Matt? Uh, anything on your end? The uh, the the detail of all the bolts uh, flying off the <laughs> the pipes and like basically becoming bullets is always one of my favorite little. Yeah. I, I don't want to call it a gag, but it's uh, just and then. I don't think that comes up even later on when they're at the bottom of the of the the, the Strait of Gibraltar. Like uh, those those bolts are just popped off and they're not there anymore. So um, yeah. it's one of my favorite little little thirty second scenes in the entire movie for sure. Yeah, after the I think it's the first destroyer. They try to dive to get away from it and they dive like down below the submarine's crush depth. So they're trying to get down far enough that the depth charges can't get to them. And so like the pressure is building so much that it's the, the some of the bolts on the inside are are being like stripped off of their like the nuts are being stripped off of the bolts and are like shooting around so it's, it's totally dark and then it's like bang bang as these bolts come like flying through the ship and people get hit by them so it's like oh yeah this is this feels like some other action movie where they're like oh how can we heighten this and it's like oh no this was like a huge pro- this was a problem well th- there was also the tension of the depth gauge yes and that's a i, I always like that visual that they, they they keep cutting to the depth gauge and like we they, they establish in the scene with the second officer that like Oh yeah, like our our rated depth is 180 meters, and below that it's start, like we'll get we'll it was get 90. It was 90 or 90, was yeah. The, uh, yeah. So they go way way beyond that. Yeah, so uh, it, that's one of the best running running themes in the movie that that depth gauge and just seeing it go up and up and that creeping sense of doom as it goes down and it's like yeah it goes into the red and then you know there's a point later where it goes off the scale and they're just like oh god what's gonna happen now. Um, so I think now is probably about the point that we can bring in the convoy. Yes. So we finally find a convoy out in the water. Yeah. And so this is the this is like I I this is just a I I I really like this whole scene because they they build the tension and like you finally get to see this is the U boat in action. So they they come upon this convoy at night, um, and they surface and they begin like surface firing. So they uh, the, the, there's so much of transport ship they don't know the U boat's there. Uh, they fire off I believe four torpedoes and two uh, two hit. Uh, and then they they get chased down by another destroyer, and that's when they have to dive again. Uh, but and, when, it, and there's that crazy the crazy scene where they're like underwater and they can hear like the holes starting to to yeah. turn. They can they can hear the, the they hit these transport ships. They sink they they down two of them. When they're underwater, they can hear the sound of the ships breaking up and and sinking. Hmm. And so it's the, yeah it's this this noise. But then I I just love the scenes when they're like they're they get, the radio operator is listening and he catches and he realizes that like. Oh, that's the propellers of a destroyer, and it's coming. It's like approaching, and like they can hear even even the crew can hear underwater, and so it's this they they build up the tension like that. Uh, they get depth charged again, and like the the engine the engine uh, the engine master also kind of goes nuts for a bit. Yeah, he, he has nearly gets shot by the captain. Yeah, he poor Johan. Yeah, the cr- cr- poor crazy Johan. I, I like uh, they call him the ahead. ghost. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, the 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 scene where Jurgen Prochnow goes back to get that gun, and you know exactly what he's doing. Like if you know anything about 
my, my granddad was in the Navy and it, the stories of, you know, not mutineering, but uh, you know he's going to get a gun, but they hold that reveal for so long about what, what is at his side and what everybody else is doing, trying to get Johan back to the engineering room. And then he finally sits down and puts a gun next to him. And he, it's a weird long reveal of what everybody knows is, is what he's doing, mm-hmm. but it takes so long to show it that it's just such a, such a fantastic little piece of acting on Jurgen Prochnow's part. Like he's he's not he's not even mad. He's just disappointed. Yeah, like he knows. Like he's such he's such a like a grizzled veteran. It's like I know what I need to do. And even the scene after where you know Johan comes to him and he's just like, "I'm so sorry. Like I'm super sorry that this happened." Um, and he's like, "There's not going to be a court martial." And you know he doesn't even say like there won't be. Right. He like, he just merely oh go ahead, go, go get some sleep. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this also like the, there's the whole convoy, and at this point, it's also implied that there are other the 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 U boats are forming what's called a, a wolf pack, which is like a group of U boats will hunt a convoy all at once. Uh, and there's so there's other ships also attacking the convoy, uh, but they they down to they eventually escape from the destroyer, and the next shot is they surface again, and they realize that one of the one of the transport ships that they hit hasn't sunk yet, and is is just sitting there on fire. And so they're like, oh, like that's weird. And so they okay, and like they're let's let's finish it off. So they fire another torpedo. And this is like six hours later. Yeah, it's in the dark, and so they're watching this burning transport ship, and they hit it with a torpedo to finally sink it, and it cuts it in half, and then they 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 realize like, oh, the convoy didn't come back and rescue these guys. So like they sink the ship, and then you see they, they watch kind of in horror as the crew who are like on fire are like leaping into the water full of flaming oil. And so they have to, so yeah, the, everyone in the crew kind of gets this, they get, they, they, they meet reality like, oh man. And the, the captain is cursing, like, why didn't they come and rescue these guys? So it's, it's an emotional scene, but like, and these guys start, the, the sailors start swimming towards the U-boat to, yeah. be, to ask them to be rescued. But it's like, there's no room on this ship. We don't have yeah. food or provisions. So they have to like back away and let, like leave them to their fate. Yeah, and you could see they felt bad because they thought at least someone would come back and save the guys that were still okay off the ship. So they were completely surprised. Yeah. And then at the same time, they were like, well, what the hell are we supposed to do? We don't have the room to take prisoners because we're just a U-boat. So they were just like, you know what? We can't let these guys on here because we're not going to know what to do with them. Well, yeah, there's like there's nothing that, there's like nothing they can do here. So they just have to leave. But yeah, this is where they're, like, I, I think I think one of the things in this movie is that, that they try to show that the guys on these U-boats are isolated from everything that's going to kind of going on. And, you know, there, there's the point, the period, like, everything is sort of abstract for them, and they finally get to see, like, oh, this is what's happening out there. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the result of what we're doing. Yeah. And that, that, so that, that's, that's, a, that's a really, like, you know, that's a, that's a scene. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it's poignant because they're, you know, for the most part, the damage that they do is done underwater. It's done in, in hiding. Yeah. And this is actually coming to terms with, like, oh, we killed people. Yeah, and, like, yeah. they're dying horribly. Yeah, they're, it's 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 being very detached, and then suddenly, like, being connected to exactly what is the end result of everything that you've been doing this whole time. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of like the the footage that you see from like the warthog, the airplane. Yeah, um, where you know the they just it's just this quiet camera footage of just a you know a missile hitting a place. And you know what it did, right? But you know you're you're kind of distanced by it, even though it's through just like a black and white, you know, video feed. This I mean, we, and we preface this thing: this is a war movie. This really is an anti-war movie because this is all about like we'll we'll get to why the ending is so significant in that respect. But um, I think I'd also say like during the convoy, this whole period of the movie, like the the ship's also stuck in a storm. Uh, they actually run into Captain Thompson's boat out in the ocean. 
and they're like, "Oh, it's Thompson. <laughs> they put that bastard back in and back out." And, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's crazy. Game. But they, they and sh- then getting really pissed off of just like we could have ran into our own boat. We don't know where we are because of the stupid storm. Yeah, they're lost. But they also realize that like, um, yeah, they also realize later they hear communications that like I think it's only mentioned in passing. But you realize, like, oh, they haven't heard, like, by the end of it, they haven't heard from Thompson's boat in weeks. It's like, oh, he probably got sunk as well. Um, and so, th- it's, uh, okay, so it's at this point, like, this is this is the big, like, turning point of the movie, which is they're in, they're nearing the end of their patrol, and the, the plan is that they get to return back to port for Christmas. When suddenly, like, they, they get a radio report, they've been ordered to La Spisa in Italy. And then everyone, every, and this, this is a critical juncture, because this is where, like, the captain very well realizes what's going to happen. And it's like, oh, to get to Italy, to, from the Mediterranean, you have to go through the Strait of Gibraltar. But they show later is like only seven miles across. And it's it's a, it's a incredibly heavily defended British port. So they've been ordered basically just like, yeah, yeah, you need to like sneak through one of the most heavily defended ports in the North Atlantic with your submarine and then meet us in Italy. All right, good luck. And so like the the... They talk about it later, but this is the big, like, you can tell everyone on the crew is like, oh, I think this is it. This is our number. Yeah, to the point that the captain is actually, like, trying to get people off of the boat. He, like, yeah, so they, they, they're first ordered to rendezvous, this is an interesting scene, too. They, they, they rendezvous with an interned German transport ship in Vigo, Spain. So Spain is technically neutral, but, you know, it's another fascist dictatorship, and they definitely had sympathies. The Germans helped them prior to the war, uh, so they could, you know, kill civilians. Uh, but they, they, they meet with this transport ship, which is docked in Vigo in Spain. And it's like the crew are all these like super dyed in the wool Nazis. And they prepare like a little party for the officers as they come aboard. I thought that was an interesting scene because it's like, it's technically a neutral port. So they shouldn't be seen. So they have to like surface right inside the port. And they're like sneaking around inside this dock at night just to, to get to this German ship. Cause they don't want to be spotted by like an allied observer. Um, and then they meet with these, they meet with these German, uh, like nationals basically who supplied them with food and new torpedoes before they set off for, for Gibraltar. And that's another interesting one because the crew come out and they're, they're like the guys in the ship are all dressed in like these perfect uniforms and they're like sieg heiling and they're all excited because they get to meet these German war heroes. And the guys from the ship are just like these dirty bearded, like husks of, of men who come this out ghosts at that point. Yeah. And they're, they're like, everyone's like, Oh, you know, it's supposed to be great. How many ships do you sink? Isn't it like, it's awesome. Like we love the Fuhrer. And you can tell all the guys on on board are just like, are like so done with this. And the captain knows, like, oh, this is like, he's not having. He he's like clearly putting on a, a charade for these like these these guys on the ship. Uh, but he tries to get Werner and his his chief engineer uh, uh, off the ship, because uh, like, the the chief engineer is established. Like his wife is sick, and then she's also in Cologne when it's bombed. Uh, mm. And so that he tries to get he tries to get him like. Assign, taken off on leave basically and gives the uh, Werner the war, you know, war correspondent a chance to get off as well but the request is denied and it's kind of revealed later that like like oh yeah the captain knew this was basically a suicide mission when he heard about it and he was trying to get these two guys that he respected and wanted to live and he's trying to get them like a chance to, to live so it's yeah uh, <laughs> one of my favorite the, the whole scene is very uh it's kind of, I don't want to say a trope, but a lot of Iraq movies do the same thing where people come back off tour and are back in the world and have people ask them really awkward or, or, yeah. or have a whole, totally different conception of what's going on. 
and it was really interesting to see that snuck into the middle of this movie. Um, but it's it's a little overt in the way that the these guys prattle on about how wonderful everything is when they're in these clean uniforms. But it's a it's a great example of this kind of uh, archetypal scene in a war movie where people people who are not there in war cannot have any conception of what is actually going on and are probably better off not trying to make people into heroes when they when they come back from these kind of experiences. Yeah, and these guys they just sit, they're like basically they're stuck in a like a nice port city in Spain, like hanging out for the war because they're like an interned merchant ship. So they like, yeah, it's, it's interesting scene. And it's like, I think it's supposed to be the, for the real, like the further the outside world kind of getting into the world of this U-boat and its crew. So, so they're finally ordered to Gibraltar. And this is like the kind of climactic scene of the movie um, with it. What they're going to attempt to do is uh, get a head of steam going and then get, get partially through the strait and then dive and turn their engine off engines off and try to glide under the water because uh, the whole area is full of british ships and there's you know aircraft and they have under they have underwater sonar most likely and everything so it's, it's incredibly dangerous to get through um and so they they, they it, it seems to be going good at first but of course this is what again this is the, the climax of the movie so the an airplane comes down and it hits the hits the ship and strafes it with with gunfire the ship takes on damage um the navigator's up on deck, and he gets hit. He gets hit by the plane. It blows the deck gun off the deck, which is like kind of a funny detail. I know they, later when you see it more, when it, the ship surfaces again, it's got this giant like blast mark where the uh, deck gun used to be. And uh, they they try to slip through when they come under attack. And then there's a great scene where the captain is up on the. It's surfaced, and he's on the conning tower. And there's like shells arcing overhead, and like emergency flares, and he's screaming at them to go as fast as possible. Whereas they're just coming under fire from all directions, uh, and eventually they have to pull off. They have to pull away from the strait, and they try to dive away from uh, the like the incoming enemy ships. Uh, and what they realize hap- what ha- happens is the the damage from the attack sticks their dive plane in a, in the down position. So when they start diving, like the 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 little fins on the front of the, sh- the submarine that help it dive are stuck like in the maximum down position. So the ship just keeps diving and diving. And they, they sit there and they try to like they try to blow all the tanks and do everything they can, but they can't get to surface. So the ship is just like rocketing down to the bottom of the ocean. And this I, the, I just this is the diazepam for this part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, about just a critical, crucial scene in the entire thing, and and uh, I I love it so much. It's it's a one they do the whole bolt thing again, but they never cut to the bolts actually shooting off this time. So it's just kind of this accepted part of the background. Uh, and also just the, the look on every actor's face is, is fantastic here. They all look, it's panicky, but we can still maybe get ourselves out if we do something. And then they all kind of accept that they're going to die right now. Uh, and the way that their faces come back from this kind of, uh, you know, sheer mortal panic. And then, okay, I accept this. This is how we do it. That's how we go out. Uh, it's just wonderful all the way around. Yeah. Um, uh, just a, Yeah. Great scene. Yeah, this whole like thirty minute period that we're about to go into is like this huge period of like supreme tension, slight relief, and then extended tension for about thirty minutes. Yeah, it's no, it's like it's an emotional roller coaster. It's really tense. It's really well directed and acted. Um, man, so basically the the ship keeps diving and diving, and like you're saying, the the, the depth meter goes off like the scale. So they're now at like 280 meters under the water, and they're all they're realizing like at any moment the ship's gonna get crushed like a grape. 
Uh, but then finally it, it grounds itself and they realize that they've hit a like they've hit like a high point on the the, the ocean's floor. It's like a like a sea stack or plateau or something. And the captain in the captain who's resigning himself to it says like God threw a shovel of sand underneath our keel. <laughs> that was a funny one. Um, it's a, mo- a little moment of levity because this scene is so like brutal in 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 like the, what's going on and the stakes. So the ship is like it's stuck on the bottom of the ocean. They're running out of air. Like like it, you know everything is coming apart and water is beginning to leak more and more in all these different compartments. And so the next like the last like th- this like twenty thirty minute sequence of the movie is them desperately trying to repair the ship enough that they can surface again before they either run out of water or something finally collapses and the ship is flooded. So it's like, it's all the guys, all the crew in the dark, like crawling, you know, crawling around this, this ship, which is like flooded full of water and trying to fix like eight different things at once. So you've got like water coming in, you've got chlorine gas because of like uh, the batteries. Well, there was, so- it wasn't the gas. It was uh, the battery, like, like the batteries get damaged. They start leaking the acid into like the bilge area, but to repair the battery, you need to get in there. So like the engineer has, they say like throw, uh, they, they throw like lime into it to neutralize the acid. And so the, the, yeah, the engineer has to like get on a, a snorkel and goggles and go under like underwater in the bilge to fix the batteries. And like there's water rocking and there's guys like plugging it with pieces of wood and you know, things catch on fire. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, insanity in all directions. Yeah, everybody's wearing their like little masks. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> You have you have the water coming in. You had the batteries. You had, oh God, the, because the water got into the engine. You had to see if you could repair the engines. Yeah. Um. They had the entire fact that they had um. What the the ballasts. Yeah. They, they, much... they only have a little bit of they only have a little of air left in the tank, and so their 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 plan is eventually to use it to like purge the rest of the tank. And uh, it'll, it'll raise, I think, raise the like the the stern end of the ship enough that they can then begin uh, climbing again. They get unstuck, so they they have to basically bank like the remaining air supply on this last gambit, where they're going to use like some of the remaining air to blast out part of the ship and use it and and finally get to the surface. So the whole scene where like they need to conserve oxygen, so a lot of the crew are just ordered to go to sleep and they're given oxygen bottles. So I don't. That was always a really like. That was always like a really you know crazy scene for me because all these guys they probably realized that like I'm gonna go to sleep and I might not wake up because like they they you know, it might it's you know could happen the 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 dramatic scene is they finally they get unstuck and there's they 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 finally they purge the air tanks and at first nothing happens but then just barely the ship starts coming up and it starts rising off this ocean and they have the, yeah like you're saying another emotional like reversal. And at this point, like the captain has given up, like he he thinks he's gonna die, and so he you get to see like the most grizzled, cynical character in the movie, like he has this spark of hope, and he's super enthusiastic about it. And they finally get up onto the they get up onto the surface, and they manage to get the diesel motors started. And everyone is like is you know cheering for joy. Uh, and so like so not only they they surface, they finally they can get going, and they like limp back to La Rochelle with like one engine. And the navigator is dying, and you know everything is uh, is to shit. And yeah, we get to the ending of the movie, <laughs> which uh, oh boy, yeah. So the movie should have just ended there. No, this like, th- but I mean, this I think this is the this symbolizes the metaphor of the entire movie, and in, in ways I thought about on the drive over here, which is that like the, these guys, whatever you think of these guys and what they're doing, like they're kind of in their own world. They're trying to survive, trying to do their own thing. 
But then you get to the end of the movie and you realize, like, oh, right, this is World War II. The Germans lose. And so <laughs> it's this thing where, like, all, all of their struggles and all of their triumphs are all ultimately for naught, whether or not they were, you know, guys just trying to get by or they were actual, like, you know, ardent Nazis like the first officer. Like, all of that ultimately was for naught because this is, like, this is the nature of, like, how horrible war is and this war in particular. So they get up, they surface, and they're like they're going back into the harbor, and it's like a reverse of the scene. There's people waiting for them, and like, oh, they're cheering, and they're back, and they're standing on the deck, and they're all just ragged and silent as the ship is pulling back into it. And then the the like the the, the commanding officer of the base comes out, and he's literally on the gangplank to walk out to the submarine to congratulate them on returning when the air raid siren like go off, and then British planes begin strafing the the U boat pens, and it's like yeah, and very quickly. Everyone, everything is hit. People are running in panic. They're 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 dropping bombs, uh, and there's bombs going into the sub pens and setting off that. They instantly show a whole bunch of members of the crew are are killed almost like instantly. Uh, the ship begins sinking, and the uh, they they show a couple of the men to survive, and they're they're hiding in like the in the in the in the submarine pen. And the final shot, which is just the like the final gut punch of this movie, is Werner like gets out of cover and he like runs out onto the docks and it's like empty and there's just bodies and fire everywhere. And he finds the captain and the captain is, is kind of leaning on a, like a cleat and he's watching as the U-boat is just sinking into the water at dock. And just as, just as the Kriegsmarine flag like goes under the water, he kind of stares at it for a second and then collapses forward and dies. And then Werner is looking on in horror and he's, he's just kind of sitting there staring at the whole scene and the camera pans back, pulls back and then credits. Man, I just a Greek <laughs> chorus should have like started singing at this uh, point. It is it is so deeply ironic, uh, and it's ironic in a way that feels uh, definitely earned. But yes. it's just so dramatic that it's it's really kind of just like you almost have to laugh at the tension and the 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 craziness of the uh, of the way they decided to end this movie. Uh, it's, it's almost all, couldn't have been in, yeah. any other way, but uh, just. On, on paper, if you describe this ending to someone, like, that sounds ridiculous, but it's like, oh, God, this is, this is, like, I forget, because we were just on the, we were rooting for these guys, and, like, they think they're all going to die, but they pull it through, and they, you know, they come together as a crew, and they fix the submarine despite all the odds, and they get back home, but it's like, right, but they lose the war, and everyone is dying, and it's horrible, and it's like, they come back from their submarine adventure with all their own struggles, and it's like, oh, Right. This is a things were not going good at this point in the war for them. Well, it's also the irony of the fact that the the you know the boat itself was such a like death pin itself that the right. moment that they have to step off of it is the moment that the, that most of them get attacked and killed. Right. They they think they're finally safe and it's like no, it's like this is this is World War Two. It's like it's horrible for everyone, and it's always funny because especially as a Western audience members, you're like. You're watching this. Like, you're following the ideas of this story and these characters, which you like. You begin to like, and then it's like, oh right, but they're the baddies. So it's like any other movie. It's like any other movie. This event would be oh, you know, the British like successful air raid on a German submarine pen in in Axis occupied France. You know, good job, boys. We really stuck it to Jerry. But watching this movie, it's like oh, oh, but I like these guys. <laughs> 
And so it's it, yeah. Well, the or, or the uh, the only other way you could try and spin like a happy movie is just like the world's weirdest reversal, which is just like they get to port and they're just like, "You guys ever thought about you know just joining the other side? Sure, let's go." It's uh, it, yeah. It's so it's it's such a like I I've seen this movie you know you know six times previous. I still I get to the end. I just kind of sat there and just watched the credits roll because I'm like. Letting you have to like let that kind of like wash over and through you. Sabri- yeah. Sabrina was so upset. Yeah, apparently you were quite upset. I was really upset. I was, yeah, I just sat all down. of that, all the shit they went through. They almost died. They somehow magically somehow managed to unsink their goddamn ship, and then in the end they get back home, and then half of them are dead. But Sabrina, like the like, it's the happy ending. We we beat the Germans. Okay, that's fine. We can beat the Germans, but that doesn't mean everybody in Germany dies because we beat the Germans. Well, such so as like so that like I think that's the like like Matt's saying like this is why this movie is so this scene is ironic and this whole movie is like oh right this is why this war is horrible and everything about it is awful and like hopefully we should avoid that in the I mean, future. I mean, I understand that, but at the same time, it's like you put me through three and yep. a half hours of rooting for these guys. And then in the end, you kill most of them. But yeah, this is Wolfgang Petersen's how he does. Ah! It. That, is, that is how the German filmmaker do. Where's and, my Where's my reward for sitting through this long ass movie? <laughs> oh, oh, so it's it's, it's for Sabrina. It's, it's... well, just to, whoever's watching it. Like, what's what's the yeah, reward? The reward is we're in America right now. We're not speaking German. <laughs> USA. Wow. So, yeah, mm. <laughs> <laughs> the way it's but, going right now, I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, but that's that's why this movie is is this great anti-war movie, and it's it's it it it's so fucks with your perspective as a as like an American audience, especially. Actually, like I mean, yes, and and no, in a weird way, and 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 I mean, just hear me out because I can. I'm going to talk in like five circles before I get to my point, <laughs> as I usually do. What I really liked about it is that this whole, all of this leading up to this moment, um, it does a great job of eliciting like an empathy and a sympathy for the characters. And you actually do get, for me, it was like I was detached from what they were, uh, or rather what party that they were working for, you know, what was going on during World War II. I was detached from that and more involved in who they actually were. Um, Kind of like a lot of how I view our own military and, and, uh, and how it doesn't necessarily... They don't reflect what our government's trying to do. They are simply the tool that is being used to get the job done. So when you bring things back down to an individual-like basis, you may have some people who who believe in and follow those kinds of ideals, whatever they are. But they're still individual people with individual perspectives. And yes, to to gain an empathy for them throughout this entire fucking movie, just to have that happen at the end. For me, the snapback to reality of like what everything was was when they were coming back in support. But it wasn't that scene in particular. It was the little details of it, like the Nazi flag just sticking right, right out the back end there. It's just like, mm-hmm. that's when it clicked for me again. It's yeah. like, right, these are technically quote unquote bad guys, yeah. even though I've developed an attachment to many of the characters. Their, their hats have skulls on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, and, and the, that's when reality hits. And then you realize it's like, well, okay, this is why war is shitty, because there are a lot of what could actually just be some decent people or like people who work really hard only to get no reward, and it's all because we decided to put a war on. Well, maybe not us in particular, yeah. but, like, the world put a war on, and then, so, yeah. People right. from all walks of life and everything are forced to make terrible decisions and put in terrible situations, 
And some some of those people are monsters, and some of them are totally innocent, and a lot of them are in between. And I so mean, it's, yeah, this is... they're soldiers, just like our soldiers. They do what they're yeah. told. That's what they're taught to do. Right. So it has nothing to do with whether or not they believe in the philosophies of their government. It's just that when you're a soldier, you follow your government no matter what, because that's what you're trained to do. Right. And yeah. a lot of people, I think, actually kind of forget that, too. But... I don't know if this movie was trying to also like kind of bring that point across as well. It it I really liked it for what it did. Like I I was not expecting with all the references I've seen to this movie in the past. I thought I was going to oh, be it's a like a fun submarine movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said down periscope. No. I, I think um, it I think it's uh, I think it did the exact right thing of saying not an, not too much, but saying enough that it conveyed what it meant to give you but didn't outline it to the point of just preaching right mm-hmm. the movie in no way glorifies the war or like the nazi cause or the idea that like anything like that it's like this this is an anti-war movie like through and through and it's like this is this is how horrible this is and this is how horrible the what the horrible things that it forces upon people and makes people do yeah I think uh, Truffaut said it was uh, impossible to make an anti-war movie because <laughs> even if you try your best, it always winds up glorifying what these people are doing and making it just, even just the act of dramatizing it makes it look, uh, you know, um, exciting. I've, uh, I've, yeah, I've, I've heard that before, and like I, I think there is a, I think there is a, a, a point you can make about that. But I would say if you had to, which like I think Das Boot comes the closest to like, I don't like it's it was showing how just like unrelentingly horrible it is. Yeah, there's and the in the end, I wouldn't say what they've done has has been pointless, but it comes to uh, exactly no gain for themselves. Right. Um, and and I don't know. I, I I think about that saying of Truffaut's a lot, and and I can definitely see where he's coming from. But there, I, it feels like most movies about war. There are very few like overtly jingoistic rah rah kind of. I mean, it, after World War Two, I. I Definitely after World War II, a lot of those films being made during World War II uh, were pretty expressly, if if not propagandic, then just trying to get people supporting the war. But yeah. since yeah. then, the stuff we've grown up with, you know, you look at like Deer Hunter or Thin Red Line or uh, Hurt Locker or, you know, anything else. Uh, Incendies is one about, you know, Civil War in Lebanon. It, none of these movies really, it feels like the last 50 years have been full of movies that have been very explicitly anti-war. Um, and Das Boot is definitely, yeah, and it's man, and it's it's, it's, a, it's a gut punch. It's gut punch, and it's great because it's it's another pers- it's a perspective that, especially at the time, I don't think there was as much. It, I think this was a it's a German movie about German soldiers in World War Two, mm-hmm. and it's and it's like, I think especially at that time, I think it was bold for having to do that. Oh like, yeah, they they still have laws that is like, hey, listen, you can't, you very much cannot advocate Nazis. Well, you can't. Yeah, like, well, you can't. Yeah, like make it this kind of you, you can't you can't like yeah, advocate on their part or make it like it has to be there has to be some like purpose to having them in the movie mm-hmm. and so this movie is like it's interesting because it's like it's yeah the politics are both there and they're also not there which i it's interesting and i think i, I we, since we are at the end of the, I, I did i think we would be amiss to point out that like this if you are a if you are someone who is very interested in historical accuracy this movie is very technically accurate like a Apparently the the interior mock-up of the submarine is accurate down to the screws. Like Wolfgang Peterson is like obsessive about details like this, so it's apparently like a perfect replica of a Type Seven U-boat. 
Actually, there's a, I've got some of the notes on the details of the film, and that's one of it. Yeah. The bulk of the film's $15 million budget was spent constructing U-boats. Specifications for the original type 7C U-boat were found in the Chicago Museum of Science and Industry. The plans were taken to the original builder of the subs, who was then commissioned to build a full-sized seagoing replica, their first assignment since the war ended. A second full-size model was built for interior filming. That's got to be an awkward commission, just to go back <laughs> and be like, hey, so about this war, like, let's just forget about that for a minute. We need you to build this U-boat. We need you to get the, t- we need to get the band back together. <laughs> Yeah, it's, no. It's like, <laughs> do it's, not get that band back. No, together, please. No, it's interesting that, like, also, I, I will say a testament how good this movie is. Is like this movie has one set. Like ninety percent of this movie takes place inside of a metal tube, and that's something that, like I don't think you can underscore enough about how how taut and well directed this is. That they make this movie dramatic and everything. Where most of the time it's like sweaty guys in a metal tube, like looking at dials and looking through like eyepieces. Or maybe standing on the conning tower and getting hit by water in front of a green screen. So, it's a, yeah, they, they spent all their money on the set, and it shows because the set is great, but it's also a testament to, I would say, the filmmaking of this movie. It was really well done, yeah. honestly. Yeah. The green screen part, there actually is one uh, one scene that we missed out, which was completely uh, unintentional, but ended up in the film. Uh, so we have the point where... Uh, we have a bunch of the the navigators up on the top tower, and they're getting just splashed by the spray. Uh, actor Jan Fetter lost his grip on the railing and was washed off of the model, breaking a few ribs in the call, fall, of which one of the other actors instantly shouted, Man Overboard. At first, they didn't realize it was an accident, uh, but the director yelled, Good idea, Jan. We'll do that one more time. <laughs> Peterson still kept the scene and rewrote Jan Fetter's actually uh, part of the film so that the character spent a short portion of the film in bed. Yes. The actor actually had to be brought back and forth from his hospital every day because of concussion. Yeah. So say if you want what you will about the about, about German filmmaking, but they are nothing if not hardcore about it. <laughs> Another odd point is the fact that the movie was originally filmed silent. Uh, because the cameras made too much noise inside of the interior. Yeah. Um, so all of the dialogue is just dub. And ev- all the actors in it are bilingual, and they did both their German and English lines. Um, I think the dub is really clumsy. Uh, this is yeah, a movie, if you're yeah. going to watch it, just watch the subtitles. You'll, you'll... I, it was last a struggle turned to it find on. it. Yeah, we turned it on with... Uh, I was playing a, a game on my PC and watching this, and you can't really do that with subtitles, so... Uh, uh, for at least the first like half hour or so, I kind of uh, was was multitasking. I turned the dub on with subtitles, and the dub is very much what they are saying is uh, trying to lip sync. So the content of what they say is trying to match the movements of the the mouth rather than the content. For the most part, it's pretty accurate, but or at least vaguely accurate. But then sometimes they say things that are seemingly entirely opposite of what the subtitle is saying uh, for. For a dub, it feels yeah, like you said, pretty pretty clumsy. Yeah, it's it's a movie. It, it, yeah, it it actually doesn't have like that much dialogue in it. So I don't know. This is a movie I'm fine. Like I'm already so engaged in this movie that like I I'm fine just reading the subtitles as well. Yeah, and so, I'm I'm not to, meant to say that I'm multitasking that the entire movie. At some point, I just have to like, kind of get on the bed and and watch it uh, intensely because it's uh it's that kind of thing. But um. But yeah, the dub the dub was weird. I, I read that same little trivia piece, and I was hoping it'd be a little bit better. But it felt it just feels feels weird. 
Yeah, and it's, it's I think it's a movie like you, you want that like that the guttural German sound and the bar, like the kind of barking tone of voice they have. So. I think it, I think I think it adds to it. So as we draw to a close, I guess we need to go ahead and get a uh, feedback. Uh, let's start, Kyle. What is, what is your feeling after uh, finally watching Das Boot? Um, I, I honestly want to say I'm a little more disappointed in myself for not actually having sat down to watch it sooner. Um, it was a lot longer than I expected it was going to be. And I thought that I honestly thought I was going to have the problem I had with like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, where I get through less than half of it before I get bored with the content and I fall asleep. Not saying that those were bad movies and not saying that this was a bad movie. This was a great movie, but it actually managed to hold my attention, even with all like the moments of silence and uh, although, like I said, I should have taken a diazepam because it was so anxiety-inducing. <laughs> Worth it, though. I mean, it, yeah. that's that's how I kind of feel like a movie has done a great job with its direction and storytelling, is that if I'm actually having, like, white-knuckle moments throughout the movie, and I actually had to take pauses for, like, five or ten minutes to go and get some laundry done or something, just because I was like, okay, I'm going to have a panic attack watching this movie, but... Um, yeah, I, I think that there is a <laughs> there is a set point that after the convoy, you just need to take like a fifteen minute break. Just it's so intense, but I mean that as a huge compliment. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, it's definitely something that I want to recommend to more people who haven't seen it. Like, uh, my best bud Gabe has not, and I doubt he has. Uh, even though I told him he could while I was I was here, I was like, just watch it while I'm gone because it's a good movie. But yeah. Um, no, uh, totally unexpected, blew me out of the water, haha. Um, ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I could see why you really wanted to suggest it, and I'm glad that you did, so. Well, I'm, we need to get the feed in from the never-ending story soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, no, I need to, now, and now I need to rewatch the movie while playing the never-ending soundtrack oh. and see how well it lines up. In, in our, I want to know where that Falcor flying through the sky music lines up in Das Boot. In our previous episode, we did the never-ending story. We had the clips back-to-back, and they're exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the point that, like, I, I keep watching, there's, like, the, the scene where they fall underwater, the never-ending story, like... U96 in the background somewhere. <laughs> there was a few times that during it when they were doing dives or something, just go like, Atreyu! Yeah. Apparently the Das Boot uh, uh, intro theme was turned into a techno song in Germany in like 1996 because <laughs> it's that well known over there apparently. That, that's just also a very German thing to do. So The, the score was really good for the oh, movie. Definitely. Yeah, I will say that's my other thing about this movie in my childhood was that like my parents had a turntable and they had a bunch of re- they had a bunch of vinyl. So I listened, like, not out of a hipster thing, it was just like, oh, there's a cool music playing box in my house. So I listened to a lot of the records they had and they had the Das Boot soundtrack on vinyl. So you're lucky. I had I had a vinyl record player, but all I had were things like Pat Benatar and the comedy stylings of Bill Cosby. <laughs> okay, well, one out of two ain't bad. <laughs> um, so yeah, the soundtrack for this movie is is fantastic. It's this. It's it's kind of German in a '80s synthy, but they really use that. Like, it's all the tracks from the movie, and like some of them, they they use the 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 Aztec, like sonar ping as this kind of punctuating note in the soundtrack, and it's like really good. It's a great soundtrack. All right, Sabrina, your feelings. Um, yeah, it's a really good movie. Really long. Had to take a break halfway through, especially after that scene. That that the, scene with the bombs and the shit. convoy. Yeah, that was hard to watch. I like I, I like this the scene when they're they're waiting around. Just I was thinking about it, like the the, the things that they do when they're bored. 
Like they have they have the, like the little dance party <laughs> and just the stuff. Oh yeah, the stuff they're saying like the scene where they're all like lining up to be inspected by the medic for crabs. Oh yeah, no, just like they've gone up to your eyebrows. No, I think my favorite was when they all had to that everybody's trying so hard to be quiet. And then it just cuts to the one guy like pissing in a can. Yeah, <laughs> to be yeah, quiet. that was really weird. I, I like the there's the two guys. Well, it was like after that, like then the depth charge hit him, and I was like, it was you. It was your fault. You pee too loudly, sir. Yes. Anyway, sorry. I I also like the well, there's one part where they're they're bored, and there's just the two guys sitting in the bunks like staring at each other. And the one guy's like, "Hey, you have hair in your nose." He's like, "Why?" Like, I have someone. I, like, I have hair in my ass. We should like we should tie them <laughs> tie together. Them together. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like. This is, what these, this is what these, like, bored, like, 18-something sailors, like, do when they're just totally doing nothing. They figure out how to make a little first human centipede. Just, <laughs> just, just sitting there, just eating moldy bread and going, like, anything oh, that, anything that, that grows here. just cutting it off, like, well, the, the entire time. Officer, the second officer is, like, kind of like the comic relief of the movie. He's this kind of jokey, funny, like, when the when the first officer, who's the, the super, you know, the very uptight Nazi guy, like, leaves and the case like man he could like crack nuts with his ass couldn't he <laughs> the captain's or like the, uh, uh, the submarine cocktail he makes uh, for some reason there's a scene where they are all sitting around eating like lemons like just milk sucking something else. Sorry. milk and lemon juice and lemon Ooh. juice and i i know lemons were originally uh you know an anti-scurvy like citrus is to help prevent scurvy but it feels like i, th- I also want to say sauerkraut was what the german navy kind of put together to combat that so i'm not sure why they're all sitting around sucking on lemons uh, it seems like a ineff- uh, not ineffective, but a, inefficient, uh, inefficient way of of I, I, assuming that was what it was for. But all of a sudden, they just pop into the scene where everybody's sitting around sucking on lemons and having the worst time of it too. Yeah, that uh, didn't make and, sense to me at all. <laughs> it was really bizarre. I think it's I'm just... assuming. Or go ahead. I assume it's something you know. I, historically, that's always been citrus's anti scurvy, which I'm sure is still an issue if you're on these dirty ass ships for a long period of time. But it feels like there must have been a better way to get lemon juice into your body than just sitting around sucking on lemons. I really so, think vitamins would have taken up less space. I'm sure they had vitamins back then. I don't know if they vitamin really... C was the thing you really got back in the day, wasn't really? it? Really? Uh, I, I mean, think, I think he, I think it was just I I, I don't know I, nutrition. I I don't know what it was during World War Two. But I think maybe like the preparation and storage of like vitamin pills that would last a while. I don't know if that was totally settled. That would last at least longer than actual lemons. Well, they need food in general as well. So it might be like they they've already like they've already eaten a bunch of the sauerkraut, or they might just have <laughs> lemons and sauerkraut, and the lemons will go will rot faster, so they should eat these now. There's yeah. a good uh, recent book called Blitzed, which was about the German army's uh, reliance on uh, well. Drugs in, in general, uh, a lot of meth obviously was, oh, yeah. was used during the Blitz. Uh, it was a kind of a fascinating look at if you're interested in that kind of like how do you store this kind of stuff? How do you give it out to people? Like the rations of – they're basically just giving people meth. Uh, I don't think that was ever <laughs> the case on a submarine. Like the submarine probably uh, – you'd probably not want to avoid yeah, that. I mean in the no 1920s, you took cocaine for a toothache. So yeah. I, I, what I could find was like in the 1930s that it was uh, – vitamin C itself was discovered as a chemical. So I guess – Maybe around that time may have been when they started making it into like an actual supplement, but I was trying to find that out because you asked, why not just have? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. It, it might be easier just to say it was something they had on board they could eat. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, like it, they had it, the it bananas had a dual purpose. Later. Yeah, I but bananas made more sense. Well, because they had bananas. I, well, because they, st- they they picked those up in Spain and pineapple, Spanish I bananas. I, I like the the second officer, like you're saying, like. His, the job he takes on is they have all the bread and he's just cutting the moldy portions off. And he's like, 
I'll be thankful anything grows. Anything's growing here. This is the next best thing to lettuce. I thought he was doing that to the. It was like some cured meat. He was cutting the mold off. of. No, that was bread. That was, oh, like that was all bread. bread. Yeah. Well, there's, oh. the, there's the part where they're eating the pork, and I don't know what that was. This was like the, the pork they has didn't mold on it. Shave it. No, they 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 didn't shave the pig. Oh, so it's still got hair on oh. it. Yeah, the, yeah. So you just see them like you see one guy putting other food on top of his pork, and I'm just sort of like that is some. Airy pork. Yes. I, 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 like, the guys, all the officers, they're like tired and bored and they're just sitting there eating and the, the second officer is constantly like cracking jokes and they're just silently eating this terrible looking meal and he's like, they should really shave that pig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Matt, uh, you're feeling rewatching it again? Uh, I loved it. Uh, definitely one of my favorite movies in general, just in general, uh, but uh, obviously in the, the hallowed pantheon of submarine movies. Uh, which is a whole weird little subgenre of of film at this point. You know, I've seen uh, I've seen a bunch of them. K nineteen, <laughs> The Widowmaker, you know, uh, uh, Hunt for Red October, fantastic. They all. This is definitely the most overtly kind of. We we talked before about having make war films like Hunt for Red October is not really a, a movie about a war, but it it does kind of glamorize the the exploits of people on submarines and everything like that. This is so far beyond what. Uh, well, anything else I've seen in terms of, I don't know. It's it's hard to summarize the entire three and a half hours in, in one little sentence. But uh, definitely my favorite. Uh, I don't know. I want to say my favorite World War II movie, but it might be the, it might be up there too. Uh, but just a, a fantastic piece of filmmaking. If beyond the content, just the attention to detail and the acting, uh, and the direction is is top notch all the way around. It makes you really wonder where Wolfgang Peterson went. So I was looking over his. Uh, I'm assuming you guys probably talked about this a little bit on the. Never any story one, but uh, just kind of vanished off the face of the earth after 2000. It had Troy, Poseidon, and just kind of, I guess he had a movie coming out a couple years ago in Germany, but uh, it feels like he still has the skill set to make these kind of exciting movies. I mean, Air Force One and Outbreak are all very effective thrillers. Um, I'm kind of curious if he just hung it up, retired, or just got bored of the Hollywood game, but uh, yeah, it's, it's always fun to go back to some of his early stuff. Some combination of those. I want to know. I also, as I, as someone who has been at, at sea for long portions of time, I am generally curious. Like after watching this movie for you guys, how much did you feel like you appreciated being like dry? And because just... as somebody who is six foot three and who has been in a submarine once, never, yeah, <laughs> never, 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 just uh, being in a yeah. in a tiny middle tube with <sighs> like fifty other like filthy dudes. I, I went. I went on the uh, on the submarine that they have in Pearl Harbor, like yeah. the, the museum tour thing, and I felt like claustrophobic in that. I can't imagine what it would have been like to live on it for three months. Yeah, yeah. or something even because like I think the the German ones was smaller than that one, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, they were a lot smaller. Because oh, I mean, and, like you could at least go across on this one to check out stuff on the other side. And this one was technically oversized. Yeah, for the no, filming. I mean, already, so already, I don't like being in crowded spaces. Um, I don't like being in tight crowded spaces, and I don't. I have an unnatural fear, I guess, of like water where I can't see or touch the bottom. Do you so, have an unnatural fear of diving too far so that the bolts may kill you? Because I mean, that I, could happen. No, no, no. I would do that for the sexual thrill. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but everything else I'm terrified of. This is very specific. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really that claustrophobic, but there are definitely scenes in that. Because, like, I know we have bigger submarines than that now. Oh, oh, yeah. And even those, it's just, it's a little iffy. But, like, that one, definitely, I was just like, no. 
put me on a cruise ship for like a couple months, I'm okay. But <laughs> put me in a tiny boat, like where where you can't even see the water, or and the the equipment was like really old, and you couldn't even tell where you were going most of the time. You just had to guess, you know. I we have better submarines than that now, oh, but yeah. that one, no, no way. I, I like the show, like the officers mess, like. Uh, the, whoever sits on the far side of the table has to get up anytime one, someone wants to pass. Yeah. So, like, the officer having, are, like, talking, and every once in a while it's, like, pushing to pass, and someone has to, like, walk by with a bunch of dishes or something. <laughs> and it's, it's always the second the, the second officer. Oh, that was the thing I, I wish they had shown. They never showed what the galley looked like on the submarine. You, you see it in one shot. It's oh, you like, do? Okay. When, when, they, when they first get on the submarine and, like, the one guy is showing Werner around. Yeah. And he's, like, the galley, and then they open the door of the galley, and that's the engine room. Oh yeah, my god! It's, it's really small. Everything is multitask. I mean, there's a reason why the uh, the medic is the same guy running the hydrophone. Uh, like everybody has to do multiple jobs, and every every space has to be used in multiple ways. So uh, it's not like there's a, a kitchen somewhere where people are like roasting up food. It's, I'm pretty sure it's just like everything is everything has multi yeah multi. I know, but those meals they were showing, they were making at least just for the officers, especially in the beginning when they first started out, looked ridiculously fancy. That's why I was like. What what does their galley galley look like? It's, you know, it's like that. They start off fancy, but it gets more and more horrible yeah, as, it goes as along. they go along. What was this? What was the hell were they eating? Where it looked like they were eating like cherry tomatoes and some kind of yellow like pudding. Pudding. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was just they're probably like if it's anything like like what I remember is they're just eating whatever is at hand. And yeah, so... no, I mean there you go, tomatoes and pudding. I guess <laughs> it looked about as appealing as a lot of the uh, the meals and hook. Did it? Uh, there you go. I figured uh, out my segue. I, I did. Oh, I did want to say my one thing. I think we mentioned it, the scene where the to like to annoy the first officer who's the big Nazi. They they play it's a long way to temporary oh, yeah. on the radio. That was hilarious. They actually played it twice. Yeah, though. at the very end. But yeah. like they 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 start playing it. Like everyone in the subway is singing along. And they the, all know the words. Yeah, well, like all the guys in the computer are like, "Hey, we're in the Royal Navy now." <laughs> and then, and, and the, the first officer is just like. <laughs> he's just grumbling, and the captain's like, "Oh come on!" He says, "Like, oh come on, this won't like hurt your like ideological edifice." Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was that's a great another great scene. Yeah. So I think overall we can say Das Boot is uh, at least a watch once. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I will yeah. definitely be watching it again. I wanna I wanna absorb more of that movie a little better, and uh, I'll deal with the anxiety. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot you'll watch and pick up on on watching it multiple times. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, let's go ahead and start by thanking Matt for coming on again. Always a pleasure to have you on, man. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm joined by my cat now, so apologize if any of this decided to get on my lap. Does he get a mic too? <laughs> he is actually the loudest cat you'll ever hear in your life. Let me see if I can bend this down a little bit. Are you on a submarine? I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's a he's a loud little cat, but uh yeah. Seriously. Thanks for having me. Quiet. Uh, Fantastic to always have you. Uh, let's go around the horn. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for uh, having me. Thanks, Eric. Yep. Sabrina. I don't have a choice. I live with you. I know. And thank to you to all of our wonderful friends out there that decide to listen to us each week. Uh, thank you especially to our Patreon friends over at patreon.com slash satfriendsclub. I'll pull up the uh, list 
for next episode since I forgot about at this moment, but we love every single one of you, and you can donate over to there for early episodes uh, so you can get these as soon as they are aired. Uh, some of the uh, pre-show discussions that we have, I need to make another pre-show collection for all of you. And uh, access to the Discord. The Discord, so you can go and chat with us and give us suggestions if you have something you want us to cover. Post pictures of your cat. Yes, that as well. Um, all right, so as I mentioned before, we are going to transition from movies about boats to movies about boats, as in we are doing Sabrina's choice of... Hook, 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 hook. Yeah, we're going to do hook. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and do this. We will catch you next time for more Saturday fun. Till then, sleep well, everyone. <laughs>